NIA fam, as promised, two episodes this week. A couple days ago, right before the NBA Finals on Wednesday, we dropped an episode with two of the largest YouTube basketball channels in the world, Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown and Coach Colin from Shot Mechanics. We learned about their journey being YouTube creator for the past decade, the business of the NBA, the YouTube business, and a lot about Steph Curry. If you appreciate genius, you know, watch us and listen to them break down Steph Curry's genius. Today, me and Bilal are grilling Jack Butcher about visualized value. There was a new drop. Super interesting story behind the new visualized value drop. And also a lot about our personal journeys as quote-unquote creators, uh, the obstacles and anxieties that we felt, but also why we chose to make the jump into the quote-unquote creator life. And as always, there will be jokes. We appreciate you, listeners. All right, welcome, and we're back again. We've got the NIA boys here today. Trunk fan, me, Master Flex himself, Bloomberg contributor, Bloomberg opinion contributor, as I, I, I learned. Uh, <laughs> I had a couple of friends reach out that said they were in stitches when Jack went shaper of public opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so for, the, for the listeners or viewers that didn't see last episode, I was just obviously joking. But not really. Like, oh, no, yeah. no, you gotta let them know. You Blau, gotta... Blau's hit me on the intros. I'm like, Blau, don't forget let, the, the brand. I'm contributor. still using me, Master Flex yeah. from a year ago, which was a one liner you said. So, no, but uh, then Jack goes with the shaper of public opinion. But that's incredible. Lowercase J journalist. And then we've got <laughs> our boy Jack Butcher, as we're talking about him, founder of Visualized Value. We're gonna be doing a Jack Butcher heavy episode in a minute because we're gonna be talking all about building versus betting. Um, and as always, I'm Bilal Zaidi as well. All right, so people, we asked in our Telegram group, we asked uh, people listening like what they wanted to, what they wanted us to talk about. And one of the things that came up, our boy Chief wrote a massive, long message, but I'm going to try to pull out the the most important parts. So the theme of it, he said, guys, can you talk more about building versus betting? Jack started the discussion a few weeks ago, especially within the context of the bear market. He had a cool follow up of tweets about it too. But the fact is all three of you have built interesting projects, etc., etc. Uh, would love to hear you chat about the mistakes you've made, the lessons you've learned while working on those things. And uh, yeah, so there's some more stuff in there. But just to kick it off, Jack, this is a great week to do it because you have been heads down building as always. And um, you launched this thing called the Archive with a double V. So Archive, like Visualize Value E. It hit, was it number three on Product Hunt? Yeah, I think so. Around there, I think we've tailed off now, but we're so right, mate. This, we're only talking all-time highs here. So we got number- above the fold. We got above the fold, boys. <laughs> so All right, what, well, hold on a second. What is the project? Yeah. So, um, well, let me do a little context setting. So, one of the visualized value training products is called Permissionless Apprentice, and. I think I made it probably about a year ago now, but it was supposed to be the entry level curriculum. So we have how to visualize value, build once, sell twice, and then permissionless apprentice is is designed to be the on-ramp for the rest of the curriculums essentially. But it's, you know, if I was to encapsulate the lessons that it's trying to convey, it's like, don't ask for permission, like go out and do something, make something. And the nature of the internet is such that you can kind of answer or, or solve a problem for somebody without asking them to do it and then present the solution to them and kind of use their distribution to get your uh, 
name out there, show the thing that you built, build some proof of work, build a portfolio, invite more opportunity into your life, right? That's the, that's the function of it. So um, that curriculum, I made it free. Like I think when we really started to see the market go carnage mode three, four weeks ago, made it free, said, Hey, just download it, jump in it, get your brain right and start building some stuff, experiment. And uh, got probably five, 600 downloads a day for the, for the next few Whoa, days. Wow, that's serious, That's dude. big for people who don't realize that's like a lot of people, even with a few hundred thousand followers, like you got- And this is only from Twitter? Just Twitter. Uh, yeah, I sent an email. Um, I sent an email as well. My email list is pretty, uh, pretty small, but yeah, a few hundred a day, six, a thousand, I think on the first day. And then it kind of tailed off a little bit. And that was all good. Got some great feedback. But then I started to look at the data and it's like half of those people never even opened the thing, right? They okay. just, it's free. So you download free it stuff. and then you forget about it. So last week I was like, okay, I'll make a little tweak to it. I'll make it a dollar. So you have to get your credit card out and actually like express some level of intent, put a tiny bit of skin in the game. It's obviously not about making the dollar. It's about the action you need to take to commit to the thing and since then like the completion rate is up five six x at least people buy it we need to talk about the psychology of this by the way yeah i was gonna say this sounds like costco level psychology on on the pricing (laughs) we're gonna allow jack to finish but you know fun fact fan his brain's tingling right now yeah i like these this stuff, I don't know the theory behind it, but I just have the, like, the... Jack, let me give you the hit theory. Me. Hit me. So, well, everybody here has probably read Robert Seal Dallas's uh, book, Influence, right? Chill Danny. Mm-hmm. It's, it's called the Bible for influence and persuasion, right? So what are, are the, uh, the, the tools that individuals use to persuade? Obviously, there's, like, reciprocity, which you're also doing, right? The first thing you did was reciprocity, which is, like, uh, Costco giving out free samples. So if you go eat a hot, I mean, not a hot dog, but one of the small sausages that they give away at Costco, you're like, oh, they gave me something. I feel compelled to give it back. It's an evolutionary thing. You grew up in small tribes. Reciprocity is what kept that tribe alive, right? So they have all these, all these. Uh, I think there's seven of them. Like authority is another one where you can be an authority figure where you persuade somebody. But Jack's thing, and you already said it, it's commitment. And the example that Robert Childani uses in the book Influence is quite dark, but it's very effective. He was talking about the POWs, the prisoners of war uh, for the Chinese and Vietnamese communists. So American POWs. And what their captors did was they had the POWs write down, uh, basically every day, write something down, small, uh, which was negative to the uh, United States of America. Something along the lines of, we shouldn't be in country X, uh, we shouldn't be in country Y for these reasons. Every day, just a small thing. Uh, but that creates the commitment and also the consistency because the personal ego, right? Your, your ego wants you to be an individual that's trustworthy and continues with the actions that you first start doing. So the $1 is a consistency element, right? It's like, you want to be the person that can commit yourself to something but also see it through to the end. So that was amazing, dude. I could not believe the, they should be using that as a, a, a case study. The visualized value right there. Yeah, and Jack, have you seen a difference? I mean, I know it's only, you've only put it up to $1 recently though, right? So I'm curious if you've seen more people actually open it and 
and oh, actually yeah, yeah. that follow through. Definitely. The, the, the completion rate of the course is up five, six X. Like the analytics oh, are incredible, but like anecdotally, like the amount of people that reach out afterwards and, and got through it is significant too. I think it's cut. You just cross a psychological barrier where it's like, I'm actually going to do this versus I'll get to it. Right. Like the, it's kind of like putting your running shoes on. Have you ever heard that one before? Whereas yeah, like, leave the shoes it, ready with the socks. Right. Just put them on. Exactly. It's a very similar principle. I think uh, I had a, another anecdotal one. A friend of mine had um, like had a gym accountability buddy and is like, he texts me at seven o'clock every morning. And if I'm not in the gym, I have to send you, I don't know, 10 bucks, hundred bucks, whatever it was. So it's like, it made it just uncomfortable enough where you would never yeah. like, you would never skip out on it. So that would be varied based on the individual, but it got him in the gym. Uh, so I think there's, there's like, there's a lot of interesting things you could do. Ideally, like I would custody it and return it to people once they finish. Cause it's not about even making the money for me. It's about like it's getting somebody to do the $1 it. $1 irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that's, um, that made a big difference. And then to finish the thought, the archive came from somebody who, um, took the permissionless apprentice course. There's a couple of examples in there of people that have built things. And uh, yeah, here it is. For those uh, listening, it's basically a database of all the visualized value content that's searchable, indexed, tagged. You can you can uh, you can sort it by keyword, by theme, by person, like all of these different things. Is this and, on your website, or did did they, they mocked up an entire website? So they built it on uh, a thing called Softer, and there's a Airtable integration. So you do. Um, you put all the stuff in Airtable and then this, this platform called Softer reads the Airtable and then you can toggle all of the filters and all that stuff. This has been something that I've been wanting to do for a long time, but it's like the thing that you never do for yourself because you just like, it's laborious to go back through stuff that you've, you know, go two years into the past and categorize stuff. I think there's probably a mental model for why people don't do that as well, Trump. Uh, so he made it, emailed me and then, uh, yeah, we just did a couple of tweaks, put the domain in, tweeted it out. Someone found it, went on product hunt. And yeah, there's like, I don't know, five, 6,000 people um, visiting it a day right now, which is cool. That is That's amazing. And, and are you driving anything towards your existing sites or you don't even care? You're like, no, is- I think this is like a, this is a, like a much longer term thing where, and I'm, this is a discussion that we haven't had in this podcast, but I've been around like all of these uh, NFT projects and like the, the physics of memes and all of those ideas, like starting to think about ways to get your distrib- like get your stuff out there in front of people and recirculating is, is really a, a problem that people in this game need to solve if they want to have uh, extended relevance. Right. And I think, a lot of the times we play like the opposite game where we try and gate it and keep it close to us. And like, don't, you know, don't take any of my stuff. I don't want to give it away. Um, but this is definitely like the opposite of that strategy. It's just like, if you like it, take it. I would love it. If you gave me attribution, that would be the right thing to do, but you know, it's not going to happen in every scenario, but the thought being like the propagation of it, if you get it out a hundred, a thousand times bigger, that 5% that comes back to you increases with the, the, um, the overall spread of the ideas, right? It's, uh, it's more of a positive sum mentality. 
how does this fit into building versus betting by the way let's let's pull up the graph yeah maybe we should yeah. re, re um Here it is. Here's the graph share it again yeah for, for people who didn't see that episode yeah, so Jack, yeah. Jack do, you, do you want to just do a, what, a 30 second on like what it means just for people who yeah. might not have seen that? Sure. So uh, the graph is, is two really simple graphs. The one on the left has like a flat horizontal axis and axis until about 75% of the way across. And then you get this exponential rise uh, for the, the last quarter of the graph. And then the right hand side, the graph that represents betting is just way more frenetic, right? One day you're at uh, 10%, the next day you're at hundred, then you're down 50 and then, you know, so on and so forth. And you're staring at the chart and wondering what coin you need to liquidate and buy into and project and stock and all of this stuff. And Bilal, actually, when I first met Bilal and we first talked about, uh, I think about everything, this came up in our first ever discussion too, when, when, uh, we talked about like how to evaluate cut, like crypto projects versus like businesses that you're building. And I think we mentioned this on the last couple of podcasts, like the last year of like complete, like whacked out market activity has kind of, you know, it's mag it's a magnetic force that you see everybody gravitate towards and visualized values had a community of a couple thousand people. And to, and you really felt that within the community itself. Um, and obviously there were communities that popped up exclusively around NFTs, crypto, the things that were getting all of this attention over the last year or so. And not to say that there's no, there's no function for that or no like value in that at all. It's just, they're much more correlated with the volume of activity in the market than something that you build from scratch yourself that isn't necessarily tied to the motions of the market and and you know everything is interconnected to some degree but i think the ability to kind of wear blinders at the right time like your advantage emerges once everybody else realized they just wasted the last six months 12 months whatever it was and you were just building stuff throughout so um i think everybody has experienced this phenomenon in varying degrees of scale um we're just like the environment you have to resist is very very persuasive and incredibly well engineered and um there is like a real community element to markets now right like you even see it on probably the twitter feed of most of the people that listen to this like you feel like you're going through this stuff with everybody on the on the feed and it's easy to just be uh you know either be an observer or that, or just be caught in that conversation versus like tuned out and building stuff that, you know, can reverse that market condition either locally for you or for more people. So, uh, yeah, it feels like a phenomenon where, and this is not a new thing where people, people basically feel like you can make more money faster doing something else. And that's just incentives that exist all the way down and across all markets, right? Like capital moves in the direction where it multiplies the fastest. And then when things go bust, it all kind of swings out, back yeah. the other way. So yeah, that's, that's it at a, uh, like a philosophical level, I guess. And then, uh, it also, it felt, I think we talked about this. It felt like people weren't paying attention to other stuff for a long time. And because visualized value specifically is a, uh, like it's internet 
native as it gets, right? The, the only channel to communicate with people is, uh, is the internet. So you do have to like, you have to like pay attention to that culture too. So it is a delicate balance. I'm not saying like go and live in a hole and, you know, like or, build away. Or are you? Uh, or no, are you definitely saying not. Five beats Zero a day? Hash. Was it three, be- three beats a day? Below, five, five beats, beats a day, day for three summers, I you think. You know what, actually, I do, I do agree with that idea once you have sold a beat. Okay. Mm, okay, wait, wait. Let's okay. go into that okay, more. That's a do- good... Let's double click on that. Yeah, right, no, so, good. No. So then, so the yeah. <laughs> and wait, cool, and again, for people opinion. who don't know the the Kanye lyric, right? And if it, we didn't end up talking about this on the pod, but the Kanye documentary was also incredible, where he talked about this in more yeah, well, detail. You know, let's pull up this image. Uh, go on. I know that uh, a lot of us. Uh, I know Bilal's seen it. Oh, uh, I mean, this is just an iconic image, right? The the one of him, young Kanye, in the studio. Um, I love these, man. I, I found uh, another one. Here he is. Class. Yeah, just so good in his basement. I don't know where he is, man, but it ain't a fancy studio. No. It's clearly like a made-up bedroom. Uh, he's got. He met, everybody had this leather computer chair, right? You know, your old man. Oh, computer yeah. chair. <laughs> yeah, so for the listeners, Trump be making like, a mess on that a man. Deep swing in the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for the listeners, uh, it's just a old image of Kanye, uh, way before he blew up big time. And it's just, he's got all the studio equipment. And it looks like probably in his room. And uh, yeah, that, the, the famous rap he had was uh, five beats a day for three summer, which is the building part uh, of the building versus betting that Jack talks to. Jack, talk us through that. What do, you, what do you feel when you see that? Well, I think like, like what I said about like figuring out if people want the beats you're making to continue the metaphor is obviously an important part of the process, right? Okay. If your goal or your, not even your goal, if you're, if, if you need to make money off the thing, right. Which in some cases, if you're just doing it, like you just love doing it and you make your money elsewhere and you get joy from making music, go by all means, lock yourself in the basement and make music. But I think the other side of that phenomenon is like, follow this thing that is just, like that you're interested in to the ends of the earth without getting any feedback from the market at any point. I think a lot of the times I've seen it happen. It leads to like frustration and burnout. And, you know, there is this, uh, I think it's an Andreessen quote said creativity is a collaboration between the artist and the audience and the audience, which I think is a very eloquent way to surmise the idea that there is feedback required with which to like dial in your product it's just well, let, let me actually throw this to because i know below you did creator lab you went through a phase you still do creator lab which is your uh, individual podcast interviews how many things did you do before creator lab that got you to because i know every creator there's always things in the back yeah yeah right? there's all so what for you what was it it's a good question. I think I guess it depends what you count as created because sometimes, like Jack was saying, some stuff is just straight up hobbies and you, like for example, I've written forever, like since I was a kid, but I didn't put it out for a long time. And then what when were I you did, what, were, what did you man, write? I did like literally fiction stuff. I literally did like spoken word poetry. Like, I did yeah, yeah. Yo! I was, we need, <laughs> I did, we need yeah. it. We might need to do a, a single <laughs> well, the, episode. No, I mean it's a little a different era of mine, but like that that actually to be straight up with you, that was actually pre Crater Lab in New York. So I would you go heard. like five days a week, I would go and perform it. 
Oh, it was sad. mad. Yeah, yeah, it was no, quite it's, mad. So yeah. there's a YouTube video somewhere of Bilal hitting a cipher <laughs> on in it's Brooklyn, cipher, yeah. just rolling into the Brooklyn. All right, but yo, it Bilal. Was, yeah, it was. No, the thing is, do I, just to, just to give an example of that, it started with me just liking the art form, right? So I like hip hop. I like. I told you I like Nas, yeah. lyricist, rapper. I came to New York in. You know, I came as a kid as well, but I remember coming in 2012 and someone took me to this place called Near Rican Poets Cafe in East Village. Sick place. And I remember being like, what the hell is this? And then I realized I had seen it on like Deft, you know, it was like Deft Comedy Jam and then there was Deft Poetry Jam. It was like the same people. So yeah. Kanye went on it, Common, all these people. So it's basically like lyricism, but like with no beat, right? So it was it was sick. Um, and I went there and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like the, the people, it's kind of like a performance it's not just sort of writing, but I just used to go once in a while, and then, like a lot of these things, I'm like, oh, why not just try it out? Because I, and then it just kind of started, and then I was like, oh, why not just go on stage? Let me just sign up, and then I'd go and try it out, and then you know what I'm like, I get very into things, so I just went all in until like, you know, <laughs> I started like competing in it, like it was ridiculous. Class. Yo, you were competing yeah. in poetry. Well, it, yeah, but you're kind of doing it like you're doing an open mic, and then if you win, which I did, then you go and compete at the with the professionals, well, basically, which is, is like quite cool. Pretty, yeah, yeah, bro, <laughs> this is this is pretty wild, for a long time. man. But but just to give you, just to answer your question, that I would say is the closest I came to like creating stuff just before Create Lab, and again, without going into the full story, I was quite, I was not in the best place, and it was one of those things where I, I needed a channel outside of work. I couldn't leave my job, I didn't have a green card. So I started going to those things, and it was a complete different identity, basically, and you'd go there, and it would, no one's asking you about your job, no one's talking about money, they're just Pseudonymous like- Pseudonymous economy, ex people. Exactly. Go, man, go listen, listeners, if you haven't, go listen to the Bored Elon Musk episode. 1.7 yeah. million followers, Bird Elon. He's talking exactly about this. Yeah. Work life versus personal life. Yeah, and some t but to bring it back to what Jack said real quickly is that sometimes it should just stay as that. If I was trying to like sell it, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. Sure. But I needed to basically push myself into something that felt quite scary. And then the next day I go into work and everything's easy, right? Because you the night before you got like 100 yeah. people looking at you and it's kind of a weird feeling. So then, then Credit Lab started and then that kind of helped me move in a new direction, so. Well, this is, hey, this is very germane to, sorry, Jack, I just want to say something quickly. It's like <laughs> the effort that Bilal put into Credit Lab though, is like, I mean, me and Jack talking nauseam about this. If there is no Bilal, there is no non-investment advice podcast. That's facts. Like we do zero backend, like less than zero backend. Bilal had all these chops of, for the listeners and viewers that don't know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in podcasting that isn't just showing up and talking. Yeah, That's yeah, what me yeah. and Jack do. Bilal does the other 70% of the work, right? And you learn yeah, all yeah. that from going to the creative lab. I think the one lesson I will say is like, it kind of answers uh, uh, a chef's question is, what have you learned? It's just, if you're building like Jack's graph, all those skills come, they end up coming to bear. And I think we we probably covered this. I covered this with Coach Nick and Coach Colin, how they started their YouTube careers. They all had previous careers and uh, interests that all coalesced around basketball YouTube. Um, but man, below. There's, a, Thank there's you. a great Jack, Steve no, Jobs quote, boys. 
you can't collect the dots looking forward. You got to connect them looking back. Yeah, completely. From the Stanford, uh, that, from the Stanford that's the one of the best. I know it's like kind of cliche by now, but it's such an incredible speech like that. Very true. Oh, it's like, amazing. Like where he talks and, uh, about. I was gonna, yeah, gone. Sorry, I was gonna say you got to talk about Arsenal and. Uh, oh yeah, bling bling. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Arsenal blog. That's true. Bling bling. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. So and the summary is yeah, like I guess I've always created little things on the side. And even just did a lot of them start as like fun projects and then sometimes they become more. But yeah, I, I, but I've kind of learned to not turn it into a job essentially. Like as soon as, if you start it as a business, then great, treat it like a business. But Creator Lab is still, I make money from Creator Lab, but not like, you know, I'm not like balling out from it. It's just enough to <laughs> pay for stuff and have a little bit for uh, the weekend money on the side. But the, the it kind of my answer to this question from Chief was, like you can't need to know why you're doing it. And because often, especially people like us, the ego takes over or the number part takes over. Like as you guys know, I'm like very numbers driven as well, but I've also got that creative part. So the numbers part naturally comes into play. It's like, all right, how many downloads did we get this week versus last month? And I've got a chart set up and order, cause I like looking at numbers, it's how I like digest the world to a certain extent. But I know that it's very limited in what it can tell you. It just can give you a direction, but there's a lot more to it. So, but when you wanted to see a number grow, that is where it can sometimes become something you didn't want it to become. Yeah. So um, that's the same with Credit Lab. The primary reason I do that is to literally meet people like you guys, have amazing conversations, because that, that like gives me energy. And yeah, if people learn from it, that's amazing. If people pay me to read a sponsorship ad for 30 seconds, I'll happy to do it as well. So that's, yeah, that's kind of my answer to it as well. It's like, you have to really be focused on why and, and keep nudging yourself back because otherwise you can go off the rails. But yeah, so um, what about you guys, man? I know we, we've got like probably 10 minutes before Jack needs to, to jump, so. I'll, I'll add something to Jack's point about the creativity uh, uh, between, you know, the interplay between audience and the creator. And uh, my, I mean, we've, we've touched on it. We haven't done a full detail, but like, for example, when I've, I sold the movie script uh, 10 years ago to Fox, this is the perfect example of what Jack's saying. So I've also always been very uh, creative in terms of side projects. I had like a blog in university, which was like campus. I was like campus famous for writing a blog. Uh, it was just about partying. Um, I probably should have just kept doing it. If yeah, I someone needs to find this, man. Yeah, yeah, let's find well, it. I will, it was called Blacking Like My Daddy because I used to black out a lot in university. And then looking back, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> blacking out is not cool. Like this, like it was like legitimately, I would, people at the club would come like, oh, dude, I love your blog, man. And like, oh, it like speaks to man, me. Man, that's so life. funny. I'm like, dude, like looking back, it's so embarrassing. Like those are the things you're glamorizing. But uh, the whole point being, always done these side projects, these creative things. Thought I was going to be a screenwriter uh, 10 years ago. But to Jack's point about the interplay of audience, there was no audience. I wrote this screenplay over a year with two other co-writers. We got feedback from a Hollywood, uh, my, my friend who's a Hollywood screenwriter. But so in the end, it's four people that gave us feedback. And asking somebody to read a script, I don't know if you guys ever read a full movie script. It's a full sit down. Yeah. So, uh, and the typical, format's kind of different, right? Like, it's yeah, not like reading a book. Different. Yeah. So like uh, for the listeners, uh, I'll break it down. This top level stuff is like a script, a comedy is about 90 pages and each page represents about a minute. So 90 minute movie is about 90 pages. Uh, a drama is closer to 100, 120. So about two hour movie. Uh, a minute a page is kind of like the, the, the heuristic, the rule of thumb. But if you're asking somebody for feedback, imagine now like you guys will send me a meme and I won't even get to looking at the meme until like a week later. 
Imagine I'm sending you a PDF, 100 pages, being like, hey, man, could you shoot me some notes? And then you know what you're actually doing, right? You're like going, you're going to flip to the middle of the PDF, like pull out a quote and like make it look like you actually read the thing. It's like, oh, I love this thing on page 60, right? Um, but to Jack's point about the interplay, there's no interplay. So in the last 18 months, when I've been a lot more active on Twitter, obviously the feedback, as Jack also knows on Twitter, is insane. It's, in, it's instant too. And you can basically, instant. yeah. And that's why we're all addicted to it. We talk about it. It is a dopamine machine. But there is a middle ground between writing a script for a year, a year and a half, having five people give you feedback, and then a single decision maker, which is the studio. So they ended up making a binary decision. They said, yes, we will option it. But then nothing else happened, right? Versus what is my decision making every morning with Twitter? It's literally what time am I going to send this tweet? Because as soon as it goes and it hits, I'm not going to be able to attend to my kids. So maybe I should do it at 9 or 9.30 when my wife's up, right? So, yeah, I would just say that. that that's it. And then the last thing I'll say for, for Chef, I think I've mentioned it. I sorry, Chief, it's Chief. Chief. Sorry, there's chief. also sorry, another chief. guy, uh, Chef, who's a legend oh, too. But yeah. Shout, out, chief. Shout yeah. out Chief and Chef. Yeah, yeah both chef two legends chief. in the Telegram, man. Yeah. The one thing I will say, and I love you guys opine on this, is uh, if you choose to do what we're doing, and even if you're selling, if, you, if you're selling uh, physical goods or digital goods like Jack, or you're a creative like we are doing, audio, video, text, whatever, no matter where you are in the creator journey, you always have anxiety, right? It's like when you start, you're worried that nobody is watching you or nobody will give you a response, like when I wrote my script. And then when you have 300, 400,000 followers or 100,000 followers on Twitter, you're worried that you will offend people or people won't like what you're doing, but they will see it. So there's anxiety no matter what, right? It's just like you just have to be able to exist and deal with it. And it's not for everyone. That's the main thing. A lot of people do not like that. And uh, I think being able to do that is such a huge advantage in the creator economy. And it's just not for everyone, which I totally understand. Yeah, completely. Well, what do you guys talk about the anxiety part, man? I'd love for you guys to, to talk about well, that. Well, it, it takes a long time to get through it. Like, uh, But I think you can arrive at a point where you are pruning your distribution at okay. a certain point in time, right? Like when you, and to be very clear, like I don't think immunity from this is not, I'm not necessarily going to say impossible. It's very hard to achieve like, uh, not having a reaction when you read someone misinterpret something, especially if it like seems to have like deeply offended them or whatever it might be the, re the emotional reaction. But at the same time, um, I sent an email about Here's a very, uh, real example of this. I sent an email about that thing. I, the permissionless project we talked about archive yesterday, right? So 40,000 people on the visualized value email list. I was like, Oh, People, if they're subscribed to the email list, they'll probably like this, right? This is a free resource that is basically giving them access to the thing that made them interested in the business in the first place. You send it out, you see like, I don't know, 400 people unsubscribe from the email list after Whoa. sending that. Was it like, is that abnormal for a send for you? I don't know. I don't really pay attention. But um, like when I looked at that, I was like, wow, that's a great reminder that just at some points in time, like this is not what someone wants to read for whatever reason, right? Like maybe they don't want to be reminded of something or maybe like they're past this thing, or maybe they're into something else that maybe they don't want to read that many emails a day. Like 
something like that, where I feel like I put something out that was purely like a free resource. It's like, this is this thing that I believe in. Uh, it's free for you to use if you want it. That kind of took, um, and this has happened a bunch of times, but this is like one of the uh, biggest realizations I've had across the board is just like, if that is going to get people to opt out, then you can't get upset about that, right? It's like, that is part of the process. And the next time you send the email, the people who are still opted in are sending you the opposite signal. So I think like the whole number game and um, optimizing just for that is really, uh, it actually leads you in the wrong direction some ways, you know, because you try agree, and walk yeah. the line and you just like, especially if you have something, right. Especially if you like you, you're onto something and you start diluting it because you want to grow. Um, you want to grow from a vanity perspective. Like the thing that got you there is not the thing that you keep doing because this is an offensive thing. I'm going to repeat it anyway. It says the more followers you have, the dumber they are. Just math. <laughs> You're saying just math. That's just facts, right? That's just, yeah, like, yeah, just, that's the, just average, the law yeah. of large numbers. So you cannot escape that phenomenon. <laughs> For people listening, you can see I'm just Trump's loving the love, yeah, because right <laughs> Trunk's been on a journey in the last year and a half. So, <laughs> but that's just how it works, right? So, uh, I think coming to terms with some of those like realisms is also a way to deal with a lot of this stuff. And uh, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, just pack it in. That's another, yeah, uh, another good one. But that Jack, uh, just to, to add one thing really quickly to what you just said about like the pruning part, like where people unsubscribe or whatever, especially like as you do it for a long period of time, you change your own interest change your, your, and you yes, kind of re keep jigging in a certain direction. And I've had that even just with Creator Lab several times, right? Like before, uh, when I was at Google to going to Charity Water to leaving full time, those are three very distinct versions of myself. And even like last year, having interest in crypto, there's plenty of people who didn't want to hear about that stuff. That's why we started a whole different podcast. But th there's there's a certain element of just accepting like I'm going to evolve. And when someone doesn't find it interesting anymore, that's completely understandable. Like you can't please everyone. And when you try to please everyone, you're normally pleasing no one. So you, the more specific you become in those ways, it also depends, right? Like if Trung's writing threads about broad business stuff, that's a slight, that's a different approach to doing it versus like for me, interviews or for you with your visuals mm -hmm, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Boys, I got a jump, but that was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jack needs to leave. Trunk, if you've got a few more minutes, we can just stay on if that's all right. But uh, yeah, absolutely, man. Jack, thanks for your insight and congrats on that, mate. That is really cool. Yeah, People should awesome. go check it out. It's, is it archive with two Vs? Dot visualize value dot com. I'll search all for right. it. We'll put it in the in the show notes. All right, mate. Speak, Cheers, to, you, speak to you later. Bye bye. All right, Trunk, just to wrap that piece up. Um, what else did we have? There was just one other part of the question he asked, which I, I think we can just address, which he said the difference between being employee and entrepreneurship. Uh, let me read specifically what he said here. Uh, um, actually, do you know what? That's kind of the gist of it, so I can't see exactly what he said. <laughs> but um, And he said that, if I remember correctly, he said something along the lines of Trung has memed about this, about you know a CEO of a company like Apple being an employee and that's no way oh, to dude, get that, rich. That was taking a piss, yeah. I yeah, yeah of course, Tim of course, Cook. yeah. And But so I guess that is actually quite an interesting point because I think the New York Times article we talked about, which he was referring to in Telegram chat, was us 
going on to the fact that most people who, who earn a certain amount of money are normally in the entrepreneurial route or at least have equity in a business, right? And But that doesn't necessarily mean you can't do it the other way. Like it also depends on what you count as, again, successful is like a very broad term. But even financially successful, you can become a millionaire by being an employee for people. You just need to get a, you need to get stock basically. And you need to invest in stuff that grows beyond you, obviously. So is there anything else more on that idea that is worth us jumping into a bit? I think it's just a more a personal question about, uh, there's, you, I mean, let's give, you brought it up. You worked at Google. You had to stick with them for uh, immigration purposes. That sucks, right? It's like if you have to, and I was the same. I was working in the United States on a, a TN visa, which is a NAFTA visa, and I couldn't leave my company and stay living in the United States with my wife and my kid. It's actually one of the reasons we left. Um, that actually really brings home, oh, it brings home a number of elements. The idea of working for somebody, but like really stuck with somebody because of like legal purposes yeah, you don't have the like, choice and then but then i mean for us we're lucky right we're working for big tech startups and like funded it's like some people are stuck working for places they don't want because they have to work three or four jobs right there's that completely yeah 100 percent. So i think my my only thought on that question uh the largest thought was like um, between the two which is like working for yourself which is essentially what i'm doing now and i've done in the past uh there's there's benefits to both sides uh, the security of having that paycheck mentally is like it's like Taleb says, right? It's 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 like heroin and sugar as the yeah. biggest addiction. And breaking that and realizing uh, that you can make just as much or more and control your life is uh, it's worth the trade off. But it's like I talk about the anxiety. You just there's no guarantee that people can break through that, right? And then you have your personal, you have relationships to deal with. Like a lot of me being like, oh, I want to be a solo creator, like. That wasn't going to fly with my wife five years ago, right? Like if I had zero audience, it's like, that's just not going to happen. There's like a lot of things that uh, are, are obstacles to that, but I'm happy personally that I'm uh, essentially working for myself. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I would also add uh, for me, when I did that for the first time, the, like it was about three years ago um, in, I think it was January. So yeah, more than three years ago now. That first quarter, bro, was so like, it was January to like March or April. I didn't earn any money pretty much. And it was, I didn't really have a full plan. I was like, oh, I'm just going to try it out. And then, and I had saved that money, right? But after a few months of that number going down every yeah. month, you're still spending, you know, wherever you, I'm living in New York. It's like minimum burn, four or five grand right? I'm spending a month, totally. right? And that's fine if you're earning a proper salary like I was. But when you go down to zero, and it starts hitting you, even if you've planned it out, it's kind of like the bear market right now. We did a whole episode on what you do in the bear market and and I was like, oh, I'm just gonna lock it up. But doing it is very different, right? So you've, the emotions of it all. And then the, the, what I realized, and again, if someone's listening to this who's going through it where they're thinking to make a jump, it's not for everyone. Like it's really, you have to value the upside, which is the complete freedom, the ability yeah. to grow beyond yourself, you know, exponential growth. like. You have and like you know, creating your own schedule, those sort of things that I really value. For a lot of people, that is not enough of a trade off, they don't care enough about that totally. to warrant not having the security. And obviously, you the financial part is the biggest part, like, you need to be in a position where you can pay for the stuff you need to pay for. Well, and, the one uh, thing I will say, yeah, with the financial actually, the financial part is huge. The one almost equally for me was like, I hated when I was working at a corporate how I couldn't. I knew I had to mute myself in public mm, or online. Yeah. 
That's a I good one. I knew I couldn't say certain things and represent myself online. I hated that. Obviously, I hate that, right? Yeah, of course. And it's just like, <laughs> and that's a world that I will never go back to. Like, I need not to say that I can just say anything and like just have any opinion and expect the entire world to love it, but just like not self-centering based on like even like pretty benign stuff, right? Like a lot of these jokes and memes I make now, like I probably couldn't have done it when I was working for like S and P Global. Yeah, uh, definitely or, not. Or like these banks I was working for, right? Completely. Yeah, man. No, I, I think that's a big thing that people. Again, it's not a right or wrong answer, but I think it. The way I always think about it is like I literally write out the things I, I want right now, and I and I have to create like a priority list. Like yeah, it, like when I went to charity war. I needed a certain amount of money, but it was primarily growth, personal growth. And then totally. I wanted the, the, to do like some good at that particular stage. I was a bit younger, a bit more, uh, what's the Wide word? Eyed. Yeah, eyed. exactly, exactly. Which was great. And it was at the time really great. But after doing it for a couple of years, the, you, you change again. And then the last thing I was just going to say on the money side is, especially when you go down to a plan where you have basically zero for a while, you, for me anyway, I became quite defensive. So you start like scrambling for stuff and that like someone like me doesn't work well like that. I need to feel like very proactive and like have it under control and like attack, you know what I mean? So when I'm like, oh my God, I need to like scramble for money or figure out to do stuff I don't really want to do that. I, I don't, I'm not working in my work best well self. In those yeah, exactly. I, I can do it, I can handle it, but it's like not, like I'm not doing my best work. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's a good way to sum it up. Anything else, Trung, before we let people get going on this? I think we no, covered think it we pretty extensively. That was, uh, I know that we was got great. other questions, but uh, we'll, we'll do more because it's fun, man. It's like getting, a good like getting question. to hear Jack and like, man, I didn't even know you did poetry. So we got to no, no more anymore. These, that was a long, long time ago. But yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you enjoyed this, let us know what you think on YouTube below. Let us know if you enjoyed that. And as always, uh, we appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys being there. Make sure you're subscribed on on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, everywhere else. Keep telling your friends, and we will see you next week on the next Peace one. Out. Bye bye.